Welcome to the Face It Podcast. I'm Amy Lloyd. And I'm Amanda Lloyd. And we are here to have conversations with amazing people who have faced major life challenges or adversity head on. My mom and I hope their stories inspire you and offer relatable solutions that you can use in your life too. So So join join us and let's face it together. Oh, today we're having a conversation about work, career, how we earn money now, because so much has shifted. I know that 34 million people have quit their job in 2021 for one reason or another. And I just read too, that there were 40.5 million internal displacements that happened in 2020, which was the highest in 10 years. It's really crazy. So whether it was wanting to make a shift, um, they're tired of working for someone else, too many hours, little pay, poor conditions, no balance, no work-life balance, whatever it is, we're really excited to have our next guest on, um, Anna Conry, and join in this conversation because, um, hi, Anna. Anna's hi. here. <laughs> um, because she, Anna, you've already been through this after you, losing your job to a corporate sale. So you've had a head start in all of this to start over again and really be a resource and inspiration and motivation to others on how they can do it too. And really you've moved through and become a successful entrepreneur. So we're excited to have you on our podcast because that truly is overcoming a major challenge. I mean, that's our livelihood, right? Our, our work. Absolutely. And I think to a lot of people, there's a sense of um, you're so tethered to your job, right? Like if it's literally responsible for the food you eat, the roof over your head, your ability to take care of your loved ones. And so to have that in any kind of jeopardy can really send people into a tailspin. I think the difference between what happened to me and what is going on now is that people are leaving the workforce willingly now, right? There's this massive exit of people who are just sick and tired and taking advantage of where we are in the economy, where it almost feels like for the first time in decades, the American worker has the upper hand a little bit, almost above their boss. And they're able to say, look, man, the one of the silver linings of this pandemic was I've seen the light, you know, like I have seen a better work-life balance. I have seen what being around for my family more Mm. means, what these types of benefits mean. I don't get paid enough, you know, all these things, like they had all this time to reflect. And I think when... When I lost my job, it was a complete shock came out of left field. I did not do it willingly. So I think it's a big difference from where what we're seeing now, which I'm super excited to see where all of these people go mm. and where they land and where those statistics end up. Um, but it's a completely different thing from what I went through almost 10 years ago. It really is. And just to give a little bit of context, you and I have very similar timelines in that I quit corporate America years ago with no job because of these exact reasons that people are feeling now. So for better or worse, and I say for better, around the same time that you lost your job due to the sale. So you were the editor-in-chief slash content director for the parenting group, where we met in LA, but worked more closely when I was in the New York office. And um, 
the parenting group had this great mix of media and print and digital publishing and it was one of the largest publishing companies in the world so that is such an amazing role that you had there as this amazingly strong leader and how was that when you i guess first of all tell us about that job a little bit and how did you make your way to that job and then we'll talk about what happened after you lost that job oh sure so you know i was i was one of the lucky ones in that i was one of those kids who always knew what they wanted to be when they grew up <laughs> you know a lot of people just have no idea and i feel like i used to make magazines when i was little i was a little craft girl you know putting paper and construction paper together and making a magazine um I, I remember that I copied it after Mirabella, which was like a big magazine back in the 80s. And yes. Like that. And, you know, I, I wanted to, I studied advertising in college, thought I wanted to be a copywriter, got a few internships and realized this isn't that exciting. <laughs> That's, Anna, I felt like I wanted to be a copywriter too. I actually loved that. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be the coolest yeah. thing ever. And it's not. Like your day-to-days are filled with just a lot of, you know, um, it's just not nearly as creative mm -hmm. as I, I was hoping it would be. And I'm sure it is for some people, so I don't want to knock the wonderful... I do work as a copywriter now, ironically, right. and we'll get to that. But, you know, at the time, it just didn't seem like really what I wanted to be doing. And so I was one of those kids who loved school. And I was really young when I graduated college. I had just barely turned 21. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go to grad school and, like, learn how to be a journalist. So I applied to the best journalism schools, just seeing if I got in. I only applied to the top three. I got in and I got a ride to Missouri, um, mm. to the University of Missouri. And here I am. A scholarship? Uh, I got a scholarship, yep. And it was wonderful because wow. um, here I am, like I was this, you know, Cuban-American girl, grew up in Miami. My parents were immigrants. My dad did go to college after he came to this country, but he went on the GI Bill after he served in the army. Um, and so it was just like, I was, you know, like kind of blazing trails and, mm -hmm. you know, Missouri was, was not foreign to me, believe it or not. I had a childhood friend that had moved there in high school and we had stayed in touch. So it kind of made the, uh, the transition easier, but, you know, I learned how to be a journalist and then I had my sights set on New York city because again, that was the capital of magazines, right? That's like if it. you wanted yeah. to work in publishing, you went to New York. And so I showed up there in January of 98 and my, my good friend has long joked that, you know, you showed up there with two suitcases and a dream and not much else. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Just takes getting there. You yeah. made it happen. <laughs> I made it happen. I bought a one-way ticket and um and I just started to pound the pavement honestly. I worked my way up in the magazine world. Um worked at a variety of of magazines, most of them women's magazines. I was there for the dawn of the internet age and nobody really knew what that meant at the time. And there was still a lot of separation between people who did print and people who did mm -hmm. this thing called dot com, whatever that meant. <laughs> um, Back then. Yeah. And so that's just kind of how I did it. And eventually, you know, I married somebody. I got married in New York City. Um, my husband was from the New York area, so he was right at home there. But after almost a decade there, I was exhausted and I just didn't I looked at my and this is a really good lesson I think for anyone in their career is like 
you know, look at your job and look at what the next step would be. Who is that? Who are those people around you, whether it's in your office or wherever, who have those positions? Is that the kind of life that you want? Is that the kind of day to day you want? Is that the kind of lifestyle you want? And for me, it was a resounding no. You know, I had this one boss at the time, my last boss there, who, you know, was the editor in chief of this um of a magazine and website and like a little mini empire. And she was a single woman who lived in a studio and sure she owned her studio, but you know, it was literally a studio. And at the time it was very glamorous to live that way. Thanks Mm -hmm. to Carrie Bradshaw and sex and the city and (laughs) you know, all of this, you know, dramatization of it, but the day to day of it was really not for me. Um, I missed the sun. I missed, you know, my (laughs) friends. I missed having like a work-life balance. And so I applied to to a job in, of all places, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, because uh, Time Inc., which was at the time a major player in the publishing space, had an enormous, um, enormous office there with a lot of great magazines, believe it or not. And I just thought it'd be a stepping stone to get me to the senior level, you know, and I'd, I'd get to be a senior editor there for a few years. And um, save a lot of money because, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, it's got to be cheaper than New York, you know? Right. You always think that. <laughs> <laughs> and I dragged my husband down there and, um, and yeah, basically, you know, I, that's what I did. And then honestly, um, after that, I, wa- I, I remember one day I was, I was like by the fax machine, if you could remember fax machines and like, <laughs> There was this thing that came through was like a press release and it was about this magazine that had started in Florida called Florida Travel and Life. And it was this really fun lifestyle publication about um, great places to visit in Florida and great things to do. And I was a Florida girl right through and through. So to me, I, I printed out the press release and I wrote, I'll never forget this, you guys, like I wrote... Um, um, Anna Connery, future editor in chief, on the press release, ah, and I put I it, it on my refrigerator in our tiny Birmingham apartment, and um, and I wrote to the company and asked for an informational interview the next time we went down to visit family, and one thing led to the other, and I got my first editor in chief job that way. That's so, amazing. Do you still have that press release that you wrote on? I don't you? Ah. Know, I really <laughs> wish I did. I don't, but I will tell you that, like, I tell people all the time that. You know, don't wait for the job you want to be available. You know what I mean? Like you've got to start making relationships. You have to start, you know, building your affinity to the brands that you're attracted to. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like for you might be different than for me. But at the time for me, I just asked for a lot of informational interviews and it, it got me in the door. It really did. That's great. I think that's, that's really helpful. Good idea. Yeah. And I had a question, Anna, when you prior to going to Alabama, I know you said it was like you looked at your life. You're like, I don't want to do this anymore. But at that time, you did still have kind of a passion to be that senior level executive. So you still saw that lifestyle as something you wanted at the time. You know, I did. And I'll tell you, I, you know, I, people are like, well, pinpoint what was it about that, that moment in your life that you really wanted to escape from? Because, you know, anyone who knows me, as Amy will tell you, you know, New York is like a second home to me. I mean, in the years since I left, I've gone a gazillion times. Mo- many of my jobs have required me to be there at least 50% of the time where I, you know, I spent a few years when Amy and I were working together where I was constantly going back mm-hmm. and forth. So New York to me is still very much a second home, but 
you know, we had gotten married and I really was a savvy businesswoman. I wanted to buy real estate. I wanted to, you know, move to the next stage of my life. And I really hated that I spent my life commuting in this public transportation that was really gritty and gross and always late. And I lived by, you know, bus and train schedules and all of that. And that that we did that just so that we could have an extra 300 square feet of living space. Like (laughs) the whole thing just seemed so absurd to me. And I think that, you know, when I was coming up on close to a decade of it, I really just was growing tired of it. And I was very happy to, I knew that leaving New York I thought at the time that leaving New York would mean your best your best shot is to be a big fish in a small pond. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I could not have been more wrong. Taking that leap of faith and moving to Birmingham, Alabama, and then Florida just opened so many doors for me that I just, you know, I just... I would never have imagined or planned that I would, that it literally took me to the White House. Like, I just can't. Right. At parenting. Yeah. Yeah. It really, as you're talking, it's, it's so clear to now look back with perspective because it has paved the way to where you are now because it led you there. You started Mm -hmm. building even more connections and networks and then had the job where you're coming to New York all the time with the parenting group and yes, have this amazing title an opportunity while you're doing what feels best for you inside. So that is really amazing to be able to create that for yourself. So you're at the parenting group Mm -hmm. doing all these amazing things, which I loved. I was there for 10 years. I absolutely loved that. It was blood, sweat and tears. So, but (laughs) but, but it was fantastic. And especially that I got the, you and I became friends and are still friends to this day. Thank goodness. But tell us about that. So obviously that was fantastic. And you just mentioned going to the white house. So tell us about that, that time. And then we'll get into, you know, how, how that came to an end. Well, when I got that job in Florida after my request for those informational interviews, um, I spent, you know, I think it was like three years as the editor in chief of that magazine, Florida Travel and Life. And I was having a great time. I went from like these big teams in New York and Birmingham from these big publishing companies to a team of, I think there were like four or five of us. And the good news is that because we were tiny, we got to do everything ourselves, all the fun stuff, you know? And so we were traveling all the time and doing all this great stuff. And long and behold, the company I'm working for decides to buy a bunch, a group of publications from ironically Time Inc. If you remember, they bought all the Time 4 yes. titles. So they bought Savour, they bought Parenting, they bought, um, uh, what else did they buy? They just bought a gazillion magazines that they picked up. Some of the up. men's. Yeah, yeah, and that's a big thing in publishing. And actually still today for the companies that are still around Hearst Cunning House to constantly be sell- making acquisitions and selling. So yes, that was a big one at the time. It was. And so at the time I had my son, my son was maybe by this time I'd had a son. And so he was maybe a year old. And so the CEO of our company, uh, his name was Terry Snow. He offered me an opportunity to, you know, first he offered me Baby Talk magazine, which was (laughs) the the baby version of the big parenting magazine. Um, And I kind of revamped that for him. I think we rebranded it, if memory serves. And then 
you know, just a short time later, I got more and more and more responsibility. And I was promoted, I think, like three times in seven years during that period. And eventually I became editor in chief and content director of parenting and parenting.com. And that was incredible because it was a very high profile job. I, um, it's a completely different life than the one I'm living now. So it'll be interesting (laughs) in a few minutes to talk about where I'm at now. But, um, you know, it was, you interview a lot of celebrities. Um, You would interview a lot of just important people, experts, dignitaries. Um, I got to interview First Lady Michelle Obama. I got to interview one of the Kardashians. I got to interview, I mean, it was all over the map. You know, I really just had a wide variety of people that we were constantly partnering with to promote certain causes or um, or initiatives. And it was really neat to be, even though it was hard and exhausting to leave my son all the time to travel to do these things. I was in New York a lot. I did the morning shows a lot mm-hmm. we were on the today show and good morning America. And I was always the face of the magazine. And that was all really exciting, but I left my son every time I did that. And so there was this irony of being this poster child for modern day parenting, but having to leave my right. kid. I used to, I used to pay my mom, you know, sometimes to take a bus from Miami to Orlando to stay with my son while I flew to New York for the week. And so there was like all of this behind the scenes stuff that you think is okay because you're doing right. all this cool stuff, but yeah. the years are going by, you know? That's it. Exactly. And it's yeah. nonstop. I mean, Amanda remembers when I was there, it's like, yeah. you could you can never, you could never be done. No. And oh. I think the pandemic was a gift for humanity yes. in that it forced everyone to take a pause That's whether it. you wanted to or not you just had to take a pause and um and so when i when our group of magazines years later was sold to our competitor and we all found ourselves without without a job i think it was like nearly you know hundreds of us were like oh, yes it was time. and i had just left to go back west to san francisco and then right after that they announced the sale Wow, I didn't realize and it was so close. It was yeah. very quickly, whereas people, I managed a team of 12 people in sales and marketing, and I left because the new company I was going to work for, Condé Nast, paid for me to move back to San Francisco. And I thought I better take advantage of this because I knew I wanted to be back near family. My team asked me, they're like, did you know this before? And I said, oh, I would never have left my team high and dry and not given them at least heads up. I had no idea. Right. So where were you when the sale was announced? So I was, we were told that morning when we came in, I had no heads up, which is another important lesson for people that I was considered one of the more high profile editors Mm -hmm. in the company at the time, if you will. And I had a, you know, in theory, I should have been, you know, at least given a heads up in many companies, there would be people in my position who would feel that way. But the company had recently been taken over by a new group. Um, of folks who had been with the original company when it was teeny tiny and were now sort of operating the new giant company, you know, and and feeling their way through that. And so their decision, like they were, we were, the company was formed by small niche magazines. And that was literally the opposite of what parenting was. Parenting was this massively big, (laughs) to them anyway, this huge lifestyle publication Mm -hmm. that had, you know, in my opinion, infinite potential. Um, and they just didn't know what to do with that because That's they it. they knew how to do small niche magazines that were tied to events and things like that. And so they sold the magazines. I found out that morning, just like everyone else, we were called into the conference room. I remember mouthing to my assistant while um, 
while our boss was announcing this with the HR director, I remember mouthing silently to her, I didn't know because she was like literally nine months pregnant. I had like, if I recall two, if not three women on our team who were almost about to give birth. And those were the women I, if I tell you in all honesty, the first thing that came to my mind, it wasn't me. It wasn't if I was gonna, you know, pay my mortgage. It was, oh my God, are they gonna give these women any kind of decent severance? Mm-hmm. Or are they about to welcome their babies like totally freaked out? <laughs> you that know? Yes. Yeah, yeah so and that's what it is. It's like at least have the heads up. Like I would have e- even loved to give the heads up before I left, but you did you were blindsided. You had no idea. And it is about the people. You have to have some sort of humanity, right? So it does feel like that. And I understand on a corporate level when you do need to hold off due to sales, you can't let it leak, but it does seem inhumane oftentimes. But I do think it's very eye-opening seeing how big corporations that people have dedicated their lives to treat situations like that. I know they have to make business decisions, but I do think it puts it into perspective for those employees, which is why we're where we are today, where people do think twice about having a corporate career, because you could put 30 years into it and let go with without a second thought. It's right. That that was my biggest lesson. It's like I will never ever be married to my job and offer my entire life to a job ever again. So Anna, were you, so you were blindsided in that moment. Did, so you didn't have a backup plan or anything I would imagine. Mm-mm, I didn't, you right. know, I was, um, I was always a financially savvy person. And I say that because I think there's a lot of people out there who think they're never going to be in this situation, right. especially women. And they just don't do enough financial planning and they're not right. financially responsible enough. And luckily, you know, I wasn't worried about that. Um, I had, you know, I was fine. And I also knew that, you know, the experience I had up until that point was probably going to land me somewhere. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's true. Right. (laughs) I was like, surely I can figure something out. So, So really, honestly, all of the feelings that I felt at that time, and they were at the time negative. I don't, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. And sure. say I, I felt like I immediately know this was the right thing for me. Bullshit. Like, of course, of course. Knew. Yeah, that's real. That. Um, but, you know, I immediately knew that, um, you know, I didn't like what was happening. I didn't like how it happened. I didn't like that I was a person who always took pride in, planning and being in control of my life and that that wasn't the case anymore and that somebody literally pulled the rug out from under you I mean that's That's right you've heard that expression and that's what it feels like and so um you know you're right about what you were saying though about the relationships that employees need to have with their companies and Mm -hmm. I say this to people all the time and um since this happened to me I say I don't care how much you like your boss if your boss is cool, consider yourself lucky mm-hmm. and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Give them the same kindness and respect that you give, that they give you. But do not ever think that this company is family no. or your boss is like family. I heard someone say that the other day and I was like, I guarantee you that 
if that woman thought that way about you, she would have never let you go. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? It's a red flag. That has been it such, is. it's a great lesson. It's yeah, yeah and I for think sure. Women, especially we, um, we can really, we try to like, we tend to, you know, think with our heads and our hearts a little bit more than dudes do. And that's just a reality. Mm -hmm. And while I think that there are times in business that that makes us the stronger business person, I think there are also times it makes us the weaker business person in the room. And there's just, it's easy to fall into that trap, but you know, man or woman, like business is business. And you, right. you know, at yeah. the end of the day, bottom line is what matters. Nobody in their right mind, myself included, you included, would ever keep going and keep a company afloat if it wasn't making money just because they like you. That's just <laughs> never going to happen. No, like, exactly. I know? remember one of my old bosses who actually hired me at the parenting group <laughs> said that to me. That was one of his life. He's like, I will never again stay for the people or make sure because you, it sounds, it doesn't sound great when we say it out loud, but just you have to take care of yourself first. And of course, like you said, leave it at that you have a great boss or you have a great team and, and that's it. You know, you take care of each other the best you can but i think that's a great uh lesson not uh, to not to fall into that trap and so for you you were financially okay thank god you were because i think that is a lesson and like you said a lot of people aren't a lot of women unfortunately i i don't know i shouldn't i don't know if i should say that or not a lot of women don't do that but maybe they do more so nowadays but regardless you were okay financially so did you take a little bit of time off so that you could process this or did you immediately start looking i it's just i'm not programmed that way i'm a doer i'm yeah. a busy body i mean i mean i can take a, va a vacation like the best of them and you know i will treat it like it is like my job to plan the best vacation but when i wasn't planning on taking a vacation and now you've told me i've lost my job like I'm just not going to go sit by the pool for a few weeks. That's <laughs> just not in my DNA. You right. know? And I remember at the time I was divorced and my ex-husband's like, you know, you're great. You've done amazing work. You've worked your butt off. Like, just relax for a little bit. And I was like, this is never going to happen. Like, the most I'll do is go out to lunch with people and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But right. I can't. So, yeah, I pretty much was looking right away, but I think at first I didn't even know what I was looking for, you know. Um, so I just really, you know, spent my days reaching out to people and, you know, everybody's got their networks, just people reaching out to me, too, mm -hmm. because it was in the news. You That's know? right. Yeah, it was all over LinkedIn and they were reading it and things like that. And so. I really spent time. I, I work. I always tell people from the day I lost my job, I sat at my desk from nine to five, just like I did any other day. Um, I started picking up freelance work. There were people that called me immediately and, and gave me work that I'd worked at, you know, with in different jobs. Um, so that was nice. But I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, there was a lot. A lot was changing in our business at the time. You know, publishing was just not what it was when I started out. Everything had moved to digital and, you know, there was this rise of e-com where, you know, all of a sudden people were needing content strategists and writers for e-com because people, all of these websites would get kickbacks from, you know, uh, mentioning products. Of Things course, that magazines right. had been doing for years, helping the ad sales team was now happening on the digital side, but right. in this much more covert way, right? And so I was figuring out, you know, I did you know a few people were like let's do some consulting gigs together i'm like what does that even mean <laughs> uh, what exactly does a consultant do do i just give you my opinion of course not you know there's much more to it than that right but i had to learn all of that you know and i honestly the best lesson there that i could give people is you know 
I cannot tell you how many wonderful opportunities came my way uh, via people I had worked with previously, meaning mm. those relationships that I had built um, with people who wanted to work with me again and wanted to, you know, look for ways to partner together again. And, um, and that was great, you know, and then I just really, I just took it from there. Honestly, mm-hmm. it was like, it was like those few opportunities. I did get a few job offers right away. Cause there's always going to be people that try to snatch up an editor of a place. Um, but every, the I think it was, there were two solid job offers and a third that I kind of never let get to the final stage, but it was because the other two had shown me that I wasn't ready to pack up and move again. I was, I knew the landscape was changing and publishing. I had just spent, my son was six. I had just spent six years leaving him half the time, right. To go to New York and travel. I wanted to stay put for a minute and see, you know, what I really wanted to do. Um, And I knew that if I moved somewhere for a job, publishing was changing so much that it was only a matter of time, probably within three to five years, if not less, that job would change too. There'd be a new boss. It would be bought by a different company. There'd be some big change. And now I had moved my family to yet another city. So I really knew that I didn't want to move. So I didn't take the, the couple of jobs that came right away. And then I just little by little, I just started to work for myself in different capacities. I was no longer just an editor. I decided, you know, what, why did I get in this business? And the reason was so clear to me. It was because I loved writing. I had mm-hmm. been a writer since I was a little kid and I loved reading. I loved storytelling. And I had moved so far away from that, mm-hmm. you know, the higher you get on the totem pole, the the farther away you get sometimes from the thing that got you in there, the passion that you you're why to the job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just that's what happened to me. You know, I never had time to write the few cover stories I had to write. I was writing them like quick on the fly right. like, because I was always running to meetings and traveling. And, you know, my my job had I was managing people too. Mm-hmm. just mad. I'm so glad I don't manage people anymore. That was by <laughs> far my least favorite part of my job. And you not drama one or another. (laughs) Exactly. And you not taking those other jobs allowed you space and perspective because a lot of people will take another job immediately out of fear and you were allowed space to gain that perspective, to figure out your why again and not get sucked back in. And I think that goes back to the financial safety net is you yes, gotta, you gotta you make options. sure you have that because you don't have options without it. And that's just the reality. I would yeah. not have had my son and I would have moved the two jobs were in LA and Phoenix. I would be living in one of those cities right now. Oh, okay. if, if we, you know, if I hadn't had that because it would have been a completely different field. And I, I feel for people who there are so many people in that situation. One of my, best friends in the world is an extremely successful attorney in Miami. And I'll never forget shortly after I lost my job and, you know, she and I had a few heart to hearts, you know, about a year later, she said to me, you know, Anna, after watching what happened to you, I completely changed how much money I save every month and what I spend my Mm. money on because I could not believe I was, you made me realize like if this all went away tomorrow, how much do I really have saved in the bank? How much time would I really have to figure out what I want to do next? And it turned out 
you know, maybe that scared her a little bit and she mm-hmm. realized, wait a minute, I should be doing way more. So I think it's a good lesson for people. Very because important. It, it's the gateway to options. Financial mm-hmm. security is the pathway to opportunity and to having options. It really is. You know? Right. And again, allowing you that space. And what were you going to say, Amanda? you mentioned earlier, Anna, just the network of people that you had on top of the financial stability, and you said how important that is, and that was, that enabled you to follow your passions versus taking a job immediately, too, I think, coupled with the financial stability. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it also let me, you know, it let me be be humble and and take some lowbrow work, because I really hadn't been writing day to day for a long time you know I had been more of an an executive role right and in a managerial role for many years at that point and so it you know I had to kind of start over in some ways you know and there were people that you know would would want to give me these jobs and they'd be like you know this is like way beneath what you were doing before and I'd be like bring it like I need right you know I need to do it and again I think if you don't have a financial safety net you're not going to buy yourself that time to get back in the game and get used to it again and figure out what you really want to do, you know, and really release that ego. I know for me, that took me a while. And I did get sucked back in for a little bit with those golden handcuffs, right. But then letting go of the ego and being more concerned about my time and my life and setting my days up the way I want to set them up, not by how someone's dictating for me to set them up. Right. So so you started taking on clients. You didn't take another job. You started your own business then. Yes, I started my own business. I just became an Anna Connery LLC. Yes. Um, And basically, you know, even if all I had, even if 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 you let's say you and I were going to work together and you had work for me and I was going to do some lowbrow piece of writing, not a lot of money, not a Mm -hmm. lot of grandeur. I still thought of you as a client. I made that my mentality that like I was an entrepreneur and you were a client and you were paying me to perform this service mm-hmm. um, and you were paying me for this skill set. And so to me, it was all very transactional in that way. And I called everybody a client. And then, you know, I also, I, I you know, after the ego bruise, I don't want to gloss over that. And we, sh- right. we probably should come back to that because that was like a huge part of, of the experience and the professional and personal growth that occurred during that time. But, you know, the ego part aside, you know, eventually, you know, I did do what I do best, which is strategize, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, what's, I don't just want to make a living where I'm okay. I was, I would like to have the same kind of lifestyle I had going before, if not better, you know, who wouldn't want that? And so it wasn't going to work with a bunch of lowbrow stuff. So I really started to strategize, okay, what I need is like ongoing work, like somebody that needs ongoing work so that you're a a client, maybe on retainer, you know, and you have me on a Mm -hmm. retainer. And so I started to explore those possibilities. And this was before people were really embracing remote work the way that they are now. So I'm not going to lie, it was definitely an uphill battle. But again, I think that my experience and my resume help people feel comfortable um, trusting me. And eventually I was able to kind of pick up 
a few clients where I have for one, I had one for four years, I had one for three years where, you know, where I really had regular work going. And then mm -hmm. I thought the way that I did it was I thought of that as my base. Mm -hmm. So if nothing else went went on that month, each month, I covered you, I was covered with these base clients. And then of course, I've always had you know, things above that. So it, it really just, it all starts to manifest, you know, you like That's get one thing say. going and then it, mm -hmm. it grows and it grows and it grows. And like some of the freelance stuff was, if it didn't pay me as much, I didn't care because I already had these other gigs, but then I did such a nice job that I ended up getting more and more of that freelance right. work. So like six months went by and I was like, oh, I'm doing pretty well. And that's <laughs> how I built it, you know, really little by little, brick by brick. You that's know? it. And you strategically manifested. And you've already said a little bit of some of your businesses, but as it relates to building that strategically, what is one tip, one business tip you would give people starting out doing something on their own. They've just quit or they've just been let go. They want to start their own business. Um, I know for me starting my own, I'm specifically going to talk about a nonprofit I started. I would say you don't have to, I guess this applies to everything. You don't have to have everything mapped out before you start. Just start, just take action and don't put a ton of money into something before you've actually started. So what would you say? I would say um, it's the same thing, really. Um, you've got to just lay the first brick. You yeah. know, you've got to lay the first brick. And, and then once you feel comfortable with that brick there, you know, you mm. think, you, you know, you keep building the house. And I also would say diversify your talent or at least look at how you can diversify your talent. And for me, what that meant was, okay, I've mostly worked in publishing, which really meant websites or magazines, um, how else can I use this talent? And so I started working with advertising agencies. Mm -hmm. And the next thing I knew, I, you know, to even today, I write scripts, I write video scripts, um, I write TV scripts. Um, I recently did a three month project for the Atlantic where I was, you know, helping them put together one of their live events, doing all the reporting that had to go on to determine what are the topics that we're going to talk about on stage, who are the best experts that should be interviewed. Exactly how you'd put a story together, but putting it together for a live event. And so just really looking at how else. I could use my talent. And mm -hmm. so that's where I got into a little bit of copywriting over here, a little bit of that over there. And now today that really is my portfolio. You know, on any given day, I could be doing copywriting for an advertising client in the morning and, you know, writing like my day today was copywriting in the morning for advertising. And the afternoon was spent doing a reported piece for USA Today on food insecurity. So that's it so really great. runs the gamut, mm -hmm. you know, and I love it. I feel like my brain is constantly constantly like running on all cylinders. I feel like I report to everyone and no one at the same time. <laughs> I mean, right. I, you know, I feel like my days are my own. I mean, all that my clients and my partners um, need is for me to give them my absolute best um, and to, pro to provide them with good work, you know, right. and they, they, they don't care if I do it at 8 a.m. or at 8 p.m. as long as it's in on the date that they need it. Um, and so I've taken that and I've just tried to, to run with it and I'm going on 10 years in May. So That's I'm so <laughs> crazy. And I feel the excitement coming from you. And what I would also ask is 
because I believe it's very important to use our energy doing what we what lights us up, right? So would you say now, after now you're 10 years in, are you more discerning about the client you take on? Are you making sure that you're going to be excited about a project or a client you take on more than you could have been or would have been maybe in the beginning? A thousand percent. I mean, yeah. I don't do a lot of lowbrow work anymore. And though it's funny because some of the writers groups that I belong to, you know, they post um, opportunities that pay nothing. And I just I see these writers like writing on there, clamoring to get the gigs. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm not <laughs> in that good. spot anymore, you know. Um, and but even like a like I mean, even being discerning about say someone came and tried to some big, huge job or another corporate job or something. Don't you yeah. feel right? That you, do, do you feel now you could be like, mm, nope, I choose my life and my balance and my work that I'm doing and created over that? Absolutely. And there have been times when I have started working with a client and I realized that this, you know, this gig is not exactly what I thought it was going to be or how it was advertised to me. I had one that started in January. It was a retainer client in 2021. It was going to go for a full year. It lasted through March. And then, you know, I kind of said, you know what, I think I need to step off the train. Um, and they were like, well, that's great because we're, you're too expensive anyway. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> we're fine. You know, Perfect. best of luck. And I've stayed in touch with them and that's everything is great. So it's not a big deal, but you do get to a point where you just have to think, you know, and this goes back to the ego part of it that you had mentioned mm -hmm. earlier is I, this time away from the traditional corporate America that I came from has made me realize that like the things that I thought were equated with success, mm. you know, are just smoke and mirrors. Mm -hmm. They really are. Like if you're run down, if you, if you're really honest with yourself and you only like about half of your job, which is what happened to me. I hated managing people. I hated all these other parts of the <laughs> right. job. Like then, then is that really like, are you super happy and successful? Or are you just kind of, you know, halfway there? I don't want to be halfway there. No. And so now I'm, I just, I want to make sure that I'm not halfway there anymore. And God willing, you know, it will continue to, to go well for me. I, I feel like, you know, I would never say the pandemic was a good thing. Obviously it was not, but one of the silver linings was the fact that you know, I don't feel like the odd man out anymore because everybody works remote or thinks it's yes. normal or doesn't blink an eye anymore. It leveled and the playing field in a lot it of did. ways. And so, mm -hmm. and I think that for a long time, my ego felt like, oh, you're happier now, but you don't have the title and the stature and the yep. brand and, you know, the, the corporate card expense oh, account and the visit. That was nice, I have to say. Yes, but... <laughs> it was. And the car, sir, and all that. Yes. But but the reality is like, I would never trade it now, mm -hmm. never. Mm -hmm. And not, not for That's a million great. years, especially more, probably more so now than I would say, I thought even two years ago before the pandemic, because now I feel like, you know, the future is like, it's unlimited. It's so bright. No, That's you know, right. I can literally live anywhere and there will be people who will want to work with you. <laughs> That's it. You know? Yes. You know, it's the playing field has changed so much. I'm and sure that's why I, I, yeah, oh, go ahead, mom. I was going to say, I think that's why this conversation is so, you offer such great insight and perspective with 34 million people quitting their jobs and craving to do something that gives them purpose and to hear from you in your path and that you are doing what you love and you can tell and hear in your voice that you are choosing to do this and to get to a point where you don't feel like you have to go back or you don't feel like you're bound to anyone else. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I really hit this financially savvy point home because I especially feel strongly about it for women who are listening that like, you know, that, that, that has, that allows me to do that. Like I could be right now in a position where I still have to take whatever work comes my way right. because I have chosen to live a lifestyle beyond my means or, you know, right. all kinds of things that people do. But I feel like I really try to approach that side of my life, you know, pragmatically. And I would never, ever um, hold myself back from, you know, all of the wonderful things that life has to offer. But I also know that I don't need to be driving around in, you know, a Lamborghini or, <laughs> you know, a Mercedes right now or whatever it is. And so I feel like you have to kind of decide what's important to you in life, you know, mm -hmm. and where do you want that emphasis and that energy to go? And um, and then, you know, go there, you know, go there. Don't, I like don't that. go to the other places. Go there. Go know? there. I'm sure your family's so thankful to especially your son. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got ahead of this. And like you said, the pandemic, but I'm sure because what is he 16 now? He's Anna? 16. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm sure you doing this for the last 10 years has been so cool mm. for him to not see his mom working nonstop and someone else watching him, like you said before. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's really funny because um, it has been cool, but I don't think he thinks it's cool because <laughs> He's a kid and he doesn't remember some of it. And so every once in a while, like, I'll be like, you know, I interviewed so-and-so and he's like, okay. And yeah, I'm just I don't like, care. oh my God, I just want you to know that I, there was yes. a time when I was on TV and people cared what I had to say. Please yeah. acknowledge me. Yes, yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> And he's just, but you know, of course, someday I'm sure when he's an adult and especially when he has his own kids, he'll probably realize how, you know, amazing it was that this person was able to still have her career and totally be around for me so much more um, than she ever would have been before. And so I think the irony of it is that my my uh, last corporate job was so tied to being a mom and was all about parenting because I was the editor of this, you know, group of magazines and websites that was all about parenting. But I feel like ever since I left that job, I've done the best parenting Been I've a ever done. <laughs> I know. And yes, your son, he'll definitely have the, those stories to share about what his mom did for him and what you've been able to do for yourself. Yes. And it really is so cool. And uh, I would ask also, what would you say helped give you motivation or persevere in the times when you were having really hard days thinking, Oh my God, how am I going to make this work? It's not going to work. Or, you, you know? know, I really think it was my son because okay. I feel like my, when I was growing up, my mom worked all the time. You know, my parents were immigrants. My mom, you know, worked her fingers to the bone and barely made any money and was never able to come to school function. She was never able to pick me up from school. Um, I got sent to aftercare a lot or put in carpools a lot and things like that. And that's, I'm not judging her at all. It was what the reality of life at the time. Um, I turned out just fine. Right. You <laughs> but, did. Uh, but, you know, I remember that. So that was so much in my mind when I had the opportunity to pick up my son every day. Mm. So if I was ever having a hard time or something like that, I just thought, okay, I get to go to the pickup line. I can swing by and get him an ice cream cone if he wants. You know, we could go for a quick bike ride or a visit to the park and then I can go back to my desk. That's something I wasn't able to do before. Right. And that's really what kept me going, to be okay. honest. Yeah, that's that so sense. cool. 
I love that. I have that. a question that I thought of earlier, a little off topic, but do you remember how long it took you to get your first client from the, like after you got laid yes. off? Do you remember? I think it was only a couple of weeks and it's such a good question because I was, it's an example of like, you know, how you could literally get yourself into something you don't even know about, but it could open doors. It was, um, my first client was, Someone, again, someone that I had worked with at parenting connected me with this woman who had started this website that was for moms. And so they hired me as a consultant and it was a retainer. And I remember in the beginning um, that I was there, I didn't even know what I'd be doing because it just seemed like such a different setup from the world I came from. And there was at the time such a learning curve in that way. You know, it was literally my my day to day was just so different from what I was doing before. And, and, um, and I don't think I did a very good job, to be honest with you. I think she caught me at a transitional time. <laughs> and um, it's so funny because if she's listening, she'll be giggling to herself. Um, but, you know, we did work together for like a year and it became one of my base clients for sure. And it got and then I got to be honest, I got a lot of other gigs out of that, too, because, um, you know, that website had partners that we worked with that I ended up doing one on one work with later so you know even the bad gigs are good gigs man mm. they really are and you just have to it's hard to see it when you're in it but they teach you so much you know even the bad bosses teach you so much mm, even more. Um, the bad employees teach you so much you know and it's just like all of it is a learning experience and you can't tie your identity and your self-worth to what you do to the point that if you lost your job, it would be detrimental to your life. Right. You know, if you, if you tie that much identity, that much of your financial security, that much of your, of who you are, of everything to your job. Again, this brings us back to the beginning of this conversation. At the end of the day, that to, to them, to that job, you are, you are just how much can we get the bottom Out line? The most right. Forward. Yeah. I mean, yep. if they happen to be cool people while they're doing it, great. You're super lucky. Awesome. You know, right. but at the end of the day, like that's what's most important to them. So don't lose yourself in any job, you Gosh, know, exactly. Cause it's actually paralyzing because you feel like, say you're let go and you feel like you can't do anything else. I know people that have been in our industry that feel like, Oh, I have no other skills. But it's so exciting. That's why I actually like seeing that 40 million people, 34 million people have quit because they have an opportunity to create something that they want instead of they being do. paralyzed by fear. You know, it's funny that you keep mentioning the 34 million because yesterday I was reading that, you know, it's been out for a while, that statistic. And yes. people, you know, it's been driving the storylines and everybody's been wondering like, okay, well, where are these people all going to go? Yeah. <laughs> they doing now, right? And I was reading on NBC News, I believe, that um, there's a new poll out that shows that the vast majority, something like 80% of those people, or even 89% of mm -hmm. memory search, are 55 and older. Oh, they're done. Okay. They're, <laughs> they're like, not, not doing this. These are people that are either retiring early or, like we keep saying, Shifting. are financially secure enough right. that, they, that they can just say, you know what, I'm going to get off this train because yes. I now realize that I'm 10 years from retirement and this training that fun to begin with. Yeah, I'm gonna take and, a minute here. And I'm gonna take a minute and then <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll come back post pandemic and see what I wanna do for the last 10 years. That's a good point, you yeah. Know? And it's important Makes to sense. tell people that because I mm -hmm. think that um, this idea that like, you know, 
entry level or mid level career people are giving a big middle finger to their bosses left and right. It's just not true. It's I think you're memory. right. I think it's the entry and like a lot of restaurants I know are suffering because they can't keep employees. So I think you're right. It's like the opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. So yeah, that is important to to note. Um, so Anna, this is, uh, we love talking with you. And for the sake of time, we're going to, we'd like to end on this last question. Yes. <laughs> okay. For you to ponder. So if your 15 year old self, you came up to you, this amazing woman today and asked, what do I do? What is the number one thing you would want her to know? Follow your instincts. Mm, that was quick. I love, love that. It. Ah, that's great. That's my great, instincts Anna. have Period. never, you know, <laughs> my instincts when I've listened to them have never led me wrong. And when I have not mm. listened to them, they have led me wrong. And you will have moments when you don't listen to your instincts because you're a human being and human beings question and we bring our emotions into mm -hmm. things and it, it would be, you know, a lie if I told you that it's possible to ever, you know, not, of course, there's going to be times you go against your gut, but I have learned that when I trust that instinct more and more, even when it sounds crazy, like in my yeah. family, I was, you know, I'm the only person that left basically town, the family, everything, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, there were people that just thought I was nuts, you know, um, <laughs> And I feel like there were people that thought I was nuts when I was a working editor in New York City and I took a job in Alabama. You know right, what I mean? right. I mean, then there were people that thought I was nuts when I moved to Florida to do a little Florida magazine after I'd been at the National Magazine. And so there's always going to be people that are going to question. But if your instincts are telling you this is a good move for you. Right. then do That's it because great. guess what nothing is permanent you know right. like if if you don't like something then you can leave that position just like that position can leave you just like That's i lost it. my job i could have left at any time and so you know again you just have to make sure that you get your ducks in a row and that you have you know a base to fall back on you know if you decide that you want to do that but so you can your follow your instincts Absolutely. Right. So that you have the option. I think, yeah, that's really great advice. And everyone, you're never going to make all those people happy. Right. I think I used to fall thinking, oh, let me try to make this serve this person and this person, this person. But following your own instincts. That is so powerful. If you could have shared that with your 15 year old self. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, have faith in it. It's funny because I'm a Leo and Leos are very, you know, headstrong mm -hmm. and we're supposed to be these leaders and, um, you know, like we're very know what we want kind of people. And I definitely have those qualities for sure. But Leos also really want to be liked. You know, we, yeah. we you have this big lion roar. And but the reality is like everything else, you just want to be liked and loved. And I think for a long time in business, I worry too much about being liked. Right. you know and like it's just that's at the end of the day if you lose your job as i did like being miss popularity you know isn't going to get you anywhere but being really good at your job is because you will hear from other people who work with you right like hey i want you to work for me you <laughs> they want to so, work with you yes yeah, uh, yeah. anna thank you so much sure, this so is awesome guys thank you what an important conversation to have especially right now yeah, I totally agree. It's so relevant to the times, COVID happening, displacements happening, people choosing to quit their jobs. It was so cool to hear Anna's perspective, not that she had a choice, but right. she had to confront it a lot 
sooner than all of us have in the last couple years. And I just thought it was awesome to hear her say how she did it and that she was prepared, um, which I don't think a lot of us think about. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say that I think it's such amazing inspiration since she's already gone through it. And so many people are like, how do I even shift gears? But, you know, like you just said, some people aren't prepared yep. and they're going to lose their job and that's okay. We can still figure it out. Exactly. I wasn't fully prepared when I left my job. Yeah. I just knew this was happening. I was going to figure it out. Right. Right. So there's a way to do it no matter what your situation is. And I think that's the larger lesson here. Yeah. And I think oftentimes you can a little bit see the writing on the wall. I know that Anna was blindsided as far as the layoffs and the acquisition that happened. But I feel like a lot of times you can feel like when your industry is kind of switching gears Mm -hmm. or something like that. And I do think that's just a note for all of our pockets to be like, okay, things are changing. Prep yourself a little better just in case. Or if you're not 100% happy, be ready to be able to make that decision and trust your gut. Yeah, I think this is good. And we're going to have more conversations about careers and people just getting out of college and what they're going to do and starting your own business. So I'm excited for those and Me we'll just too. continue the conversation. Yes, I'm taking my own inspiration <laughs> from these conversations. Um, I've been going through limbo myself, so I'm, I'm so excited. All right. More soon. More to come. See ya. Thank you so much for joining us and for listening to this episode. Please share with your friends and family. And don't forget to follow. We're looking forward to the next episode. We'll talk to you soon.